And did he make the catch? He did! He got it! Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High He crushed it! It's a grand slam! Twing and a miss, thankfully, it's over! The Red Sox have won the world championship! Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. For baseball fans across Red Sox Nation, MLB fans from around the league, and the Yankees fans who can't get enough of hating us, welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering the Boston Red Sox. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and literally every single platform imaginable. We are downloaded in over 30 countries each week from across the planet, according to PodTrack.com. The Red Sox just wrapped up a two-game set with the Philadelphia Phillies uh, splitting it uh, one game apiece. Red Sox are still at the bottom of the AL East. News out of Fenway, Andrew Benintendi will officially not return to the Red Sox uh, for the remainder of the 2020 season due to a strained rib cage, which occurred during a base running mishap. News from around the league, the New York Yankees have now lost 15 of their last 20 games and are clinging to third place in the AL East by only a half a game over the Baltimore Orioles. Padres first baseman Eric Hosmer will miss at least two weeks with a fractured index finger. Once again, I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine, and we are joined tonight from Westwood, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. Um, nice to see the Red Sox at least pull out one of these two games, so can't complain about that, especially you know with uh, those seven-inning doubleheaders. You never know how those are going to go, so yeah, doing pretty good. Yeah. I, I hope we go back to normal doubleheaders next year. Maybe we can touch on that in a little bit. Uh, also joining us tonight from the mile-high city of Denver by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew Duan. Andrew, how are you? You know, last two days out here, it was 99 degrees, and now it's snowing. So uh, pretty confused, but I'm doing well otherwise. I saw a meme about that on Facebook somewhere. So how... Like, is it a measurable amount of snow in Denver? Oh, yeah. Like, if you go out and you look at my uh, table that I haven't brought in yet since, I swear to God, it's still summer. Uh, yeah, there's like two or three inches on there. It, it's kind of crazy because we've um, had a lot of ash raining down from a lot of the fires that are near us. So to have have to clean that off the last few days and now to have to clean off snow, it's <laughs> it's quite the interesting beginning of September. Wow, yeah, and it's mm. it's still technically summer until the the twenty first. So, that's... yeah, I had no plan to wear uh, to wear jeans just yet. So, <laughs> kind of shock the system. Well, you could still get some ninety degree days. 
Could oh, it's going to be back up in like the uh, 90s, I think, early next week. Oh, perfect. That's, uh, yeah, Mother Nature's a little bipolar in that neck of the woods, apparently. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and Jason, I saw I saw a post from you. Um, you. You hate summer, apparently, and winter is by far the better season. Oh, I despise summer. Yeah, I, <laughs> I despise everything about it except baseball, quite frankly. Uh, it's the worst season. I hate the heat. Um, I hate people who enjoy summer way too much and go on too many vacations and clog up the roads with traffic. And yeah, I'm I'm glad that fall and winter are coming. And uh, fall and winter are just, they've always been the superior seasons. That's just a fact. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty excited that... Uh, it, it's finally getting to more fall summers weather here in Massachusetts. Yeah, I'm I'm the exact opposite, and I'm I'm hoping to move to uh, the Carolinas uh, a year from January. Um, you know, I'm much more of a spring summer guy, and I just in the living room chair last night, I, I pulled a lap blanket over me. My girlfriend's like, seriously, and uh, <laughs> I'm just I'm just not. I'm just warm-blooded, apparently. So, yeah. And I've lived in Maine all my life, so if I'm if I'm not liking winter by now, it's it's never going to happen. Yeah, I, I spent five years in Tampa, Florida, so I got uh, a lifetime's worth of heat and humidity, so I'm all set. Uh, uh, give me fall and winter. Sign me up. I would, uh, yeah, I'd be all right. I've lost a lot of weight this year, too. I've posted about that. And I just feel like the lighter I am and the better hydrated I am and the less junk in my system, it's a lot more tolerable, you know, in the in the heat, you know, than previous uh, summers where, <laughs> you know, I was like Pablo Sandoval. But anyway, I wasn't that fat. But, you know, getting in. Or go ahead. If you didn't, if you didn't bust any belts, you're okay. You're I, better than Pablo Sandoval. I've never done that, but I've definitely bent down the wrong way and blew out my shorts uh, <laughs> on the job too. It was like one of the most awkward things ever. I I just I squatted the wrong way, and the problem was I wasn't wearing a belt that day like I should have, and it my shorts shimmied down to like the widest part of my hips, and then. As I squatted to set something on the ground, complete blowout. And uh, luckily, I, I had a hoodie, so I was able to kind of tie it around my waist and uh, do my next two stops. And then my my third stop was the Target Pharmacy. So, um, you know, I was able to get some reinforcements while I was in there. <laughs> That's like the ultimate Cushman story. Like, uh, my life is full of those. Um, but anyway, uh, we kind of freestyled there a little bit. Getting back into the baseball here, studs and duds for this epic two-game series against the Phillies. Uh, Andrew, I've got you leading off tonight. Who is your stud for the series? My stud is the guy that has completely turned it around after going a little bit cold there, and that is Bobby Dahlbeck. Two more home runs today, one in each game, and they were bombs first one was 425 the next one was 408 and that was opposite field uh yeah he, he's looked great and the the one in the second game was a i believe it was a breaking ball too so uh great to see him do that also had a really nice play in the field on a uh 
sinking line drive, we'll call it, uh, late there that maybe it hit the ground, maybe it didn't, but they called it out. So that's all that matters. It was a really nice display by him and uh, feeling a lot less nervous than I was at the last recording that we did last week, where I think he was one of the duds. He might have been. He had some offers and uh, lots of strikeouts. So uh, I just feel like almost every hit from him is a home run. Yeah, it's something. I mean, he's got five already, five and eight games. First ever uh, Red Sox Red Sox rookie to homer in four straight. So when he was first ever in uh, God knows how many years this team's been around, 100-something, that's pretty impressive. Jason, thoughts on Dahlbeck? Yeah, so actually, I was the one who had him as a uh, as a dud last week. I, I thought that he was not very good at all, and, and I think I, I said that, you know, he's getting a chance to play every day, and he wasn't really seizing upon it. He wasn't making the most of his opportunity, but these last two games, he's looked a lot better, and I think what I like the most about him is his power is real. You know, like, it, it's, it almost seems a little more effortless from him. And when you compare him to a guy like Chavis, Chavis has to swing from his ass to get it over the fence. And granted, I think Chavis has really good power, too. But Dahlbeck has a much better swing. It's much more compact, and there's just a lot more pop to it than, you know, Chavis, who has to... It, it's sort of more like a slow uppercut from him, whereas... Dahlbeck, it just he, he puts the bat on the ball. When, you know, when he finds his pitch, it's just a lot easier for him. And I do like the way he looks in the field so far. He's got a pretty strong arm. He, he seems to have some pretty good fielding instincts. So much better from him these last two games. I hope that this is a trend that continues because you need the Red Sox need guys like this to step up and prove that they can be everyday players and that they're worth building around. And Dahlbeck's 6'4", which, you know, until I finally started seeing him uh, with the big club, I I just didn't realize how big in stature he was. And I I think that just kind of plays to his power a little bit. And I just, I'm just wondering, you know, what where the floor is for him but also where the ceiling is i mean it's still kind of a mystery to us to see how he's gonna you know he's gonna fit in is he you know i mean is there a comp i guess that we can compare him to like maybe a previous red sox player or even a you know an mlb wide guy does anyone come to mind maybe um Maybe a Mark Reynolds or a uh, Joey Gallo with hopefully less strikeouts? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, that's the hope because I, I think last week when I had him as a dud, I said that he kind of, you know, with the strikeouts, he could turn into Rugnet Ordor where he just hits 30 home runs but hits 205. I don't think his floor is quite that low. Um, so, yeah, hopefully his floor is more like, you know, like, you said more like Mark Reynolds, Joey Gallo, and and hopefully he just gets better plate discipline and turns into a more complete player than those guys. But Mark Reynolds wouldn't be bad. I mean, that, Mark Reynolds was a good, sort of solid all round player most of his career. I mean, the batting average wasn't quite where teams wanted it to be, but he was good defensively and he hit for a ton of power. So 
if that's what Dahlbeck turns into, as long as you realize that he's more of a six or seven hitter and you don't try and make him your number four guy, then yeah, that's that's good. I'll take that. Yeah, and another thing about his showing the last few days is his swing really hasn't changed and neither has the exit velocity. So it's not like he's really cutting down to avoid the strikeouts just to try to make contact contact, which is kind of what Chavis was doing. The balls really start to leave his bat a little bit slower to cut down on the case. So that's really encouraging that he's just seeing the ball better and hitting the ball with authority. He did draw one walk uh, in the first of the two games. So, you know, if maybe he, he can do that a little bit more than, than striking out, it'll kind of balance out, you know, his his presence, uh, you know, in production. So, all right. And his uh, OPS is uh, over 1. It's 1.033, so... <laughs> That's uh that looks good. But uh yeah, we'll take it. That'll play. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know if anyone else on the team that's even over one right now. Uh, you know, Devers would have to probably be the closest, I would think. But uh anyway, uh Jason, who is your stud? Yeah, um speaking of Rafi <laughs> Devers, he's my stud. Um had a good two games when Four for eight, and in game one, um, that was really where he showed out. Hit two big home runs. The first home run was just an absolute laser. I mean, it was a fastball up and in, and he got to it. And I think the exit velocity was upwards of like 113 miles per hour off the bat, something like that. Um, But I was actually more impressed with his second home run because he went oppo, and he went oppo in Philly, which that left field is pretty far away. You know, that's that's actually the harder part of the ballpark to hit it towards. And he got there, and, you know, I believe the pitch was sort of down and away, and he just went with it. Um, that's the Rafi Devers from last year. You know, that's, that's the Devers from last year that hit the ball to all parts of the field, was hitting pitches high, was hitting pitches low, breaking balls, fastballs, it didn't matter. He was seeing it. He was going with the direction of the pitch. Um, just really good, smart hitting, kept his head on the ball. Um, that's the Rafi Devers that we're used to. So he's been looking a lot better these last couple of weeks. And, you know, the batting average still doesn't quite reflect that. I think he's still hitting like 264. So, you know, it's, but he struggled mightily in the first month plus of the season. So, um, the fact that he's starting to show that offensive prowess again, that's huge because he was a guy that we were unsure of after that first month. He was starting to slump, and the questions were coming up as he, you know, was last year a direct result of Alex Cora getting on him and uh, in 2018 as well. Like, was he more of a Cora guy, and was he going to struggle without Cora there? It looks like he's picked it back up, and he's found that swing again, and I was really impressed with uh, the way he swung the bat these two games. Andrew. Yeah, Devers, that first one um, that he absolutely ripped to right field, it was on a funky swing, too, and he still hit it uh, right off that sign, which is no tiny task. That was awesome to see. Then he went oppo, and then he almost had another one that hit off the top of the wall in right field. He thought he got it all. I thought he got it all. 
Uh, yeah, he's back to driving the ball with authority, which is great. Uh, great news. Getting his confidence and his swagger back. That's what they need going into next year. Just finish up strong. Obviously, it's not going to matter this year stat-wise, but uh, go into the offseason really swinging a good bat and then just build. Just build upon it. Yeah, his OPS is actually uh, 826. um, But, you know, it's almost like every other series. You know, he's hot and he's cold. And I'm trying to find my Toronto numbers here, but... I can't find him. He didn't have a very good series against Toronto, I, I, if I remember right. And so then he comes into the Philly series here and, um, you know, has a much better, you know, has a much better couple of games. And, you know, his average is kind of creeping up a little bit. It's not over 300 like we're kind of accustomed to seeing. But he's out of that annoying Jackie Bradley Jr. territory because he was just as inconsistent as the the Jackie Bradley that we're familiar with in the the first few weeks of the season, so I I still I still look at Devers as a guy I, I want to extend under all circumstances. You know, oh, you have to no no questions about it. Absolutely, yeah, and people are going to start probably clamoring for. Uh, Verdugo as well here you know he's got four years remaining as well but you want to you want to get to it before it's too late like Mookie was the case but if I had to pick between the two I'm still going with Devers the guys you know healthy for the most part um, extremely clutch you know he's including the 2018 postseason and he didn't have a great regular season and, you know, but, you know, when push came to shove in the month of October, you know, Devers was, you know, very productive uh, over the course of that month. And I'm, I'm pretty confident in him going forward. I, I don't know how I'll feel about him in his mid thirties, you know, given his body frame right now, unless he is the full-time DH, but Love what I'm seeing with Devers and uh, yeah, and a uh, another big thing with him is that we're not talking about his fielding anymore. It seems like he really got that out of the system after what I mean. It really couldn't have been any worse than it was uh, the first week of the season. I think he had like six errors or something right off the bat. So to see him get that turned around is very good as well. Maybe he just doesn't need the pressure of being a, a Gold Glove contender. So he just sucks usually the first you know, few weeks of every season, it seems like. And then, and then kind <laughs> Get of... Get him out of the way. Yeah. Whole season's worth in one week. Here we go. Yeah. Let's get that monkey off our back. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I'm pretty, pretty at ease with Devers, and it doesn't seem to matter if you hit him in the two-hole, the three-hole, the four-hole. He's, you know, he seems to, you know, find his stride, uh, you know, at some point, so... Uh yeah, yeah, good 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 uh pick there with with Devers. My my stud for the series is a little goofy as we were talking about in the pre-show. Um I could have went with Verdugo who did homer in the one game he did play. Um Vasquez was 4 for 4. I'm not going with him. 
I'm going with Zhu Wei Lin, who uh, only played the second game. He was two for three. Uh, drove in a run early in the game, and in a very tense, you know, seventh inning. I almost said the ninth inning. Um, yeah, he made he made the game ending catch at the warning track when we were kind of you know, on pins and needles, whether these relievers, I mean, he went from Austin Bryce, which I was fine with, Renicky, and then that didn't work out, and sometimes it doesn't, but then he went with Marcus Walden, so I'm like, geez, you know, that's not much of an upgrade, this guy could cough it up just as easily, and, uh, you know, that ball came off the bat, it looked like it might be a homer, but uh, Lynn was there in center field, uh, in a spot that requires, you know, that's a very complex position to play. I mean, you're managing the whole outfield, and and we're used to, you know, Ellsbury, Bradley, Mookie played there for a little bit, and uh, you don't really think of Zhu Wei Lin as a center fielder. So, if if for just one time he's my stud, uh, you know, for for this series. <laughs> Yeah, I think you pretty much covered all all there was to say about Zue Lin on there. He definitely had no business getting to that ball to end the game. I I thought for sure he was going to mistime his jump or smack too hard into the fence and have it pop out. But <laughs> yeah, he played it well, uh, as well as he could possibly ask him to do. So good for him. Um, been more than formidable in the outfield, which apparently we're having all of our middle infielders play the corner outfield now. So uh, yeah, good for Lin. Yeah, I mean, as far as utility guys who are kind of fighting for a spot to remain on this team going forward, I would much rather have Zue Lin on my bench than like a Jose Peraza or someone like that. I I think Lin is more athletic, and if you ask him to play multiple positions, you know he's he's going to be better apt to do that. So yeah, he's he's good for what he is. You know, I'm not going to say that he's the next Brock Holt because I don't know if he can hit as well as Brock Holt can, but I think he's a better athlete. He's got speed, he's got a good glove, and he's got good instincts. So I'll take that for, for a guy who's probably just going to be a bench piece and a, a platoon guy going forward. I have no problem with that. He's he's a very serviceable part of this team. Yeah, he's a guy that doesn't hurt. Yep, exactly. Uh, at the start of the season, I, I was kind of saying that maybe Lynn could be the guy to, to pick up where Holt left off, and we haven't really seen that at the plate yet. Um, you know, he's a little above the Mendoza line right now at 212, but um, but maybe he can find it. You know, he's not going to be quite as endearing, I don't think, as Brock Holt was. You know, he doesn't have a four-year-old, you know, sprinting around the clubhouse that's like an instagram star already but um but very versatile like you guys said can play just about every position really i mean usually we see him somewhere up the middle you know whether it's short second center field whatever i haven't seen him play first yet that might be a little goofy because i don't think he's very tall you know in the in the off chance that devers does uh airmail one but um but yeah yeah so i i was happy to to have him uh as my stud uh some honorable mentions i did kind of go through some of them vasquez four for four he did kind of 
you know, have an error in the uh, the first game, but made up for it offensively. Jackie Bradley kind of had a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing going on, where in the first game he was 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, extremely ugly, and then in the second game he was 3 for 3 uh, with no strikeouts and a walk. So, um, you know, much, much better in that game. Um Christian Arroyo, first appearance, one for three. Um, the catcher there, Davey uh, Grulion, I think is how it's pronounced, uh, played the second game, uh, catching one for three uh, with a with a run batted in. So not bad there. And then Ryan Brazier, when he's not balking, uh, tends to you know get through the inning cleanly. You know, so I guess. We'll start giving him his due. Uh, Meza today, five innings. That I think is the furthest we've seen him pitch into a game. Gave up four hits, two earned runs, only walked one, struck out four. And uh, Valdez uh, had a bit of an adventure uh, in his inning uh, tonight, but uh, got through it scoreless after an ugly series against Toronto. Um, yeah, and you got to give a shout out to Verdugo because that's probably going to be the longest home run we may ever see him hit. How, I think how far it was, was it? said it was like 425, but it seemed longer than that. Okay, yeah, that is quite a distance. Yeah, and he did, uh, uh, like you said, homer in the uh, the first game. Uh, so getting over to the duds now, uh, Andrew, who you got? Mine was an easy one for me. Went with JD. He was 0 for 7, and it was a really, really bad 0 for 7. The second game, he had three strikeouts in, and honestly, I don't even think they were competitive strikeouts. They looked like a guy that came up from A-ball right to the major strikeouts. It was bad. He doesn't have it anymore. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm overhearing about the film room. It's like, dude, you're not exactly facing, you know, a bunch of Cy Young Award winners. The Phillies suck at pitching. And, you know, like, you should be able to at least rip a double off one of these guys. And he can't. He can't do it. He literally can't touch the ball right now. And it's pretty bad to see. So, yeah, absolute dud. Yeah, I, um, I'll i even take that a step further. If I'm Ron Renicky in the Red Sox, I'm tempted to tell J.D. just, you know what? Just go home, yeah, go home for the last couple of weeks because those some of those swings, it looks like he just doesn't care. It looks like he can't wait to get his at bat over with. He's waving at fastballs. He's like way late on them. It just looks like he doesn't care. And you know what? He probably doesn't because the Red Sox are out of it, and he's not having a good season. So he's probably miserable all around. His best friend Mookie is gone. His best friend Brock Holt is gone. Like. He's obviously miserable, and I just hate the example that that's setting for guys like Dahlbeck, for you know, for these young guys, our ooze, like young guys who are trying to make a name for themselves, trying to earn playing time, and you know, guys who probably you know, in some way, idolize JD Martinez for the way that he can hit, and then they go and and they see him at bat up there, and he's just waving at fastballs. He looks completely disinterested. So at this point. Like And I don't think they'll do it because it, it would create even more clubhouse tension, which is the last thing that this team needs. But boy, I'd be tempted if I'm Ron Radicke to say, you know what, dude, just go home. If you're going to just wave at pitches like that and not give any effort, then 
just go home because, you know, we're obviously out of it. But we've got young guys here who are trying their best and are playing their asses off. And they don't need to look at you going up there four times a game and just doing absolutely nothing. I mean, it, the way he's playing right now, it's just it's awful. Yeah, you know, I thought we were actually going to have some wink-wink September 1st uh, mutually agreed upon injuries that shut guys down for the season. And right now, J.D. is approaching Manny Ramirez when he was trying to get traded territory. When the bat wouldn't even leave his shoulder, if he did, he was just waving at it because he was like, you know what, screw you, trade me, I'm out of here kind of uh, territory. So it's not like you can't find a guy to D.H. four times a game. Put one of your backup catchers in. I don't care. Put anyone in at this point. Put Zue Lin at DH. That, it doesn't matter. You can find those at-bats. Not hard to replace. He's especially lazy with balls that are down and away because he just kind of waves at those. And, I mean, I'd almost rather him just strike out looking if, if those balls are, in fact, strikes. But... He's a really tough case right now uh, as far as what to do with him. I mean, I would love to have more young guys up that, you know, could get some reps. I'd love to see Jaron Duran up to see what he might be able to do um, ahead of next year. But I think they're kind of hoping that, he does kind of find it and he has had a couple of recent series where he was driving the ball a little bit and hit a couple of dingers, but I really think the Red Sox want him to opt out at the end of the season. I I think for them, that's what they want the most. They've got young guys in the system that, that can come up like we were just saying and I think they'd love to save, you know, roughly twenty million in payroll space. Yeah, and I mean, Andrew mentioned it. Like the way he's acting is sort of the way Manny did on his way out. I hope that this is a sign that he's he's thinking of opting out. I don't think that's the case because I think he wants his money, and I think he realizes that he'll never get as good of a deal as he as he has now, um, especially after the way he's played this year, but hopefully, hopefully it's a sign that he's just done with Boston. He wants out and he's going to opt out, you know, after this season is over. Um, I think that would be best case scenario for everyone involved. And he, you know, he did his job here. He, he was a stud, you know, every other year. So it's not like it was a bad contract. It worked out for everyone involved. He got paid. The Red Sox got I don't, I don't know if we want a batting title, but they definitely got a World Series performance out of them. So, hey, mutually uh, beneficial right there. So uh, yeah. I'm, if this was the end of the book, uh, I'm happy. Almost got an MVP, too. Exactly. I mean, the, the only guy that beat him out was his own teammate. So, yeah. Well, here's my problem, guys. I want him to opt out, but I don't think it's going to be that simple. Um, you know, look what Mitch Moreland's doing right now for $3 million. And, you know, maybe that's slightly low. You know, maybe Mitch should be paid 7 or $8 million. But I just, I think it's 
increasingly difficult to see that there's going to be a market for JD out there. Now, I know the National League is more than likely going to have the DH. It's not official yet, but the expectation is that that's here to stay. I just, I, I just don't see a team ponying up twenty to twenty-five million for a guy who's, I think, going to be thirty-four at some point next year. And you know when they can, they can get someone much cheaper. I mean, look at Bobby Dahlbeck. I mean, he's probably not going to hit for average, but he might hit a similar number of dingers. I mean, no, I, yeah, I agree with you. If if next year all of a sudden the DH was being implemented there, then I'd say maybe you have a case. But these guys, they've had over a year to prepare for this now since they started a year early. Um, they're going to have guys in their system that maybe didn't have a position, but now guess what? They do. Uh, like your Kyle Schwarber types where they might've been a liability at one point, but guess what? They're not anymore. So the only way I don't see him back with the Sox is if he picks up his option and then the Red Sox eat maybe $8 million to facilitate a trade for a pretty decent return. I think that's exactly it. I mean, that's the only scenario I don't see him coming back, unfortunately. Um, I think that works out for everyone involved, too. The Team B gets a slugger. He gets a, you know, maybe to go to a more of a competitor next season. And the Red Sox get an asset that it's going to be more cost-controlled for a longer time. Yeah. yeah I, go ahead, Jason. No, I was just going to say, I mean, that that seems more likely to me, too. It, it's almost like the baseball version of a sign-and-trade. Yep. Um, you know, he's already signed. But, like, it, if he opts in and, you know, because he wants the money, then the Red Sox go, okay, well, we don't want to pay you that full that full contract, so let's facilitate a trade here. And like Andrew said, maybe we have to eat 8 or $9 million of the 19, but that's fine. You know, we'll... We'll move you to a contender. We'll get some pieces back. It works out for everybody. The other scenario is maybe he gets off to a hot start next year and then suddenly has some value at, at the deadline or, or as we get close to it. Um, but I just can't see. I mean, leaving almost $40 million on the table for the chance to get maybe a three- or four-year deal, I just I don't think it's there. For, for a guy like him and he's been extremely unlucky you know because he signed his contract during the collusion winter where you know everybody was talking about the possibility of maybe some of these teams just agreeing not to spend money um you know it wasn't a very big um you know off season but yeah, I just the other thing too here. I don't know if you guys uh, caught it was Javi Baez with the with the Cubs was yeah, no. complaining uh, about the inability to go look at video during the game, and a guy like JD doesn't have a leg to stand on because of the accusations we had against us this winter. So. Red Sox 
players can't really fight that battle. But we are seeing uh, Baez, um, you know, complaining about it now. And his take was that he's being punished because of what the Astros did. And so, you know, when you look at JD and the fact that he can't go review video and at this point it's almost the elephant in the room whether whether it really is a factor or not i mean that's the difference between this year and the previous two is he can't look at video and you know he's not performing well you know he's hitting two honestly though i i don't want to hear it from either of those guys those are both legitimate mvp uh contenders every single year and now all of a sudden you can't hit because you can't watch your previous at bat i mean come on you just gotta stop with the excuses you're having a shitty year just own it work harder spend a little more time in the cage and talk to your hitting coach i I don't get i i don't buy it he should it's also you know like what about these players this year that are having good offensive seasons yeah right and (laughs) and are still hitting like i don't see them complaining so it's yeah, it's a little weird. I mean, if JD wants the video thing back, having a guy like Javi Baez complain will really help him because MLB wants to market someone like Javi Baez. They want him on their side. So if he starts complaining, then maybe they'll ease up on the video thing. But yeah, I agree. I'm I'm sick of hearing it from from all these guys. It's like there are plenty of hitters who are having really good seasons who are still you know like Fernando Tatis is you know, what, 21 years old, and he's hitting the crap out of the ball. He's not complaining about not having video. So what the hell is wrong with the rest of you? You know, like, it's just, yeah, it's a lame excuse at this point. Mike Trout still, you know, having a a normal year by his standards. And, you know, all of California is hidden right now. They don't have (laughs) secret video rooms. Come on. Yeah, Mookie, too, another, another relevant example, you know, from the Red Sox. Um, yeah, and I mean, I'm just looking down the, the list right now. I mean, Bogarts is, you know, maybe his average is a little low, but still very productive. Devers, finding it, like we said. Um, Verdugo, you know, has been a stud all season. So, yeah, I mean, you would think J.D. would uh, be talented enough to, to figure it out, but but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Anybody who bought Martinez jerseys last winter uh, can probably wear it next year by the looks of it, like we said. Um, mm. Jason, who is your stud for the series? Oh, stud. Dud. <laughs> I'm a dud yes, right now. Uh, <laughs> Who's your dud for the series? I went with Martin Perez. So he uh, he pitched in game one, and, you know, it's a doubleheader. So the games are seven innings. So as a starting pitcher, you're not being asked to do much. You're being asked to give five innings. That's it. Okay, like it, you know, the team's not expecting you to pitch a complete game here. Um, they're asking you for five innings of quality baseball, and Martin Perez couldn't do it. Uh, he he did pitch five innings, but six walks, four earned runs, um, including a homer. And he got all the way up to 86 pitches. And, like, by contrast, uh, Mazza, who started today, also went five innings, only threw 58 pitches, and only gave up two runs, struck out four. Like, and he faced the same lineup. 
It's you know, it's not like the Phillies, you know, they they didn't play all bench guys against Maza. He was going up against Harper and Hoskins and Real Muto, just like Perez did. And Perez just couldn't get it done. And he was cruising a little bit early on, and then it was around like the third inning or so. He just Eckersley said it, he just completely lost it. I don't know what happened, but like his his control went out the window. He was walking guys left and right. Uh, I don't know if something rattled him, but it's just not good enough. And like, look, I get it. The guy wasn't supposed to be, you know, a big part of your rotation, right? It, you know, if everyone's healthy, he's more like supposed to be your number four or five guy. I get that. But at the same time, it's like, okay, but they did sign you to a one-year deal and they're, they're paying you $6 million. Like, you still have to perform in games like this. Like, it's, again, a seven-inning doubleheader. You should be able to give five quality innings, and he couldn't do that. So, you know, I've I've been a pretty much a fan of Perez all year. I think that he's basically done his job, even though he hasn't been perfect. Um, but this outing today, it was bad. He just completely lost it. And, you know, there was no really, there's no reason for it. Um, and he did. He, he cost him that game because he just, he had nothing. Yeah, you know, it was a little disappointing, um, especially after what he did last game where he took a no-hitter into the sixth inning. And, you know, if he did that this week, we would have been talking about, you know, oh, my God, he's only three outs away. But I, I don't have super high expectations, but I did want a little bit more today. So that that was definitely sad to see him take a step back. Uh, it was also kind of sad because he did have a better ERA than Garrett Cole going into us. And now th- that's out the window. So, <laughs> you know, he's no longer mm-hmm. the best free agent pitching signing in the AL East this, this year. But, you know, as long as he continues to eat innings, I'm sure he's going to bounce back next, uh, next time out. Well, he flirted with a no hitter, you know, into the seventh inning of his last start. Mm-hmm. So, You'd like to just see him be able to sustain some momentum here, and six walks is god awful. Like, yeah, it's not. <laughs> how many guys do you know don't get the hook before that usually, and you know, so not not good to see. I you know, but like you guys said, innings eater. Assuming we have some semblance of a rotation next year, I I'm still I'm still fine with his. Six million dollar option, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, and yep. he's still better than Rick Porcello, as we've said mm-hmm. on previous shows. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, Michael Chavis, zero for four. Um, yep. Although he did play a decent outfield, from what I've heard, I, I didn't get to see most of um, that game. But um, a- Andrew, you, you made a comment that maybe he was positioned too far in the outfield. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I get the no doubles defense when there's a guy on third, but they had the infield in too, which was kind of weird. Um, but then the outfield, obviously, and no doubles. But I, I still feel like he was really far back. If he's playing at normal distance, uh, I think they uh, he absolutely would have had the guy at the plate because um, he actually did make a really good throw. But he had to come so far for it that he just didn't have the chance. Yeah, and it's too bad that, you know, he didn't have the opportunity to kind of showcase something like that in his first uh, appearance out there. 
Um, I've been a huge proponent of him playing in the outfield. The plan last uh, fall, I guess, just about a year ago, was to put him in the Arizona Fall League as an outfielder, but he had that oblique problem, and it just never happened, and then it was never in the cards for, for this season until now. But I think that kind of solves the log jam. You know, it allows Dahlbeck to just, you know, focus on first base without being in a platoon or whatever. Um, but is there a spot, even if it did work out, is there a spot for him there next year? Because the, in theory, you're looking at Benintendi moving back into that corner spot, Verdugo in right field, uh, and then Duran, should they not re-sign Bradley? True. I mean, unless he's going to like transition into a, a Johnny Gomes type role, um, you know, where he's kind of a platoon guy and, and maybe moved around. I mean, even Nava, you know, would, would play first on occasion, mm-hmm. you know, if, you know, maybe if the matchups for Dahlbeck isn't, isn't great on a given game, but, but I just, no matter which way we turn here, Unless Dahlbeck just completely falls flat and has to get optioned, I just don't see Chavis really being an everyday guy. Maybe a a two or three games out of every five type guy. But yeah, I would agree. At least for now, yeah, yeah. Uh, another guy. I mean, I hate to crap on this guy, but uh, Jonathan Arauz, zero for four in the second game, three strikeouts. You know, he was kind of like the darling of, you know, a few earlier games not long after he'd been called up. And this is a guy who, unfortunately, I just don't think there's a place on this team for him after this season. Well, so obviously you only have to keep the guy up there for the first full year. So they can option option him into the minors next year without risking having to return him to where was it Houston or Cleveland one of the two Houston so yeah yeah, he's definitely uh turned back into a little bit of a pumpkin but he was never supposed to get this much playing time going in anyway so a good developmental year for him yeah Peraza 0 for 3 oh go ahead Jason no I was just gonna say if they can option our ooze uh for next season you know hopefully there is a minor league season next year and he gets yeah. more playing time down there because he'll be what 22 yeah, so he's still super young yeah i mean it never hurts to to you know especially with this team stockpile as many infielders or or you know as many bats under the age of 25 as you can and just stick them in the minors and and see if he can develop i i have no problem with that yeah and uh, munoz is supposed to be back on thursday so you can just Go ahead and slide him into the second base and let our ooze ride some pine for a little bit. Yeah, I just realized I didn't get to my dud. Um, mine was going to be Matt Barnes coughed up yeah. the lead Oof. in the uh, yeah. seventh inning of the first doubleheader. Um, you know, but this is who Matt Barnes is. You know, he's going to look bad probably every third or fourth time out. I'm just wondering is he going to be around next season? There was some trade interest. I'm surprised they didn't trade him. I mean, I'd be surprised if, you know, it was the Astros that he was connected to. If 
the Astros came out of this saying, ooh, the Red Sox wanted way too much um, because that would just be kind of goofy, I I would think. He doesn't have a ton of trade value, but um, but I think he is going to be arbitration either two or three. And three. three. He's three next year. So, yeah, he's probably going to make about $5 million. Uh, <laughs> They don't be his because he was at three one this year, and he's obviously gonna get a raise like they all do. Yeah, so maybe not actually because he's not a five million dollar um, pitcher. But I mean, if you just embrace him for who he is, you know, which is really just a, a situational guy every few games. I, I don't think. You know, he's not a seventh inning guy. He's not a setup guy. And he's definitely not a closer. I just don't think you can really pin any type of role on him. You know, he's just, he's an okay reliever, you know, much like Hembry, really. I mean, they're the same pitcher to me. They're going to have, they're going to have, yeah, they're going to have their nice runs, but then they're going to. You know, they're going to have a couple bad outings. And Hembry, you know, didn't look good tonight. He gave up at least a couple of runs there um, in the second game of the doubleheader. So, um, yeah, so I just, you know, he was really the only viable dud, really. Um, Yeah, I mean, everything that you said about Barnes is actually kind of the reason I don't really want him back on this team next year. I mean... He'll be 33, and like you said, he's you know he's a guy that you can't really give him a defined role, and you don't want him pitching beyond the seventh inning. So, for a guy that age to be making five million, like I'd rather they just go out. You know, there's relievers on the free agent market every year. Just go and get someone for you know half of that. That yeah, you know, might actually be better. You know, like yeah, exactly. You yeah, spend anything on these guys. Yeah, uh, you know, and I'm I'm willing to kind of ride it out with the Austin Bryces, and uh, I'm still a you know a believer in Josh Taylor that you know he'll get it together. He he struggled early when he was called up last year, so I just feel like if Taylor has a normal spring training and a normal start to a season, he'll probably get off on the right foot. And Darwinson's got the shoulder thing going on. I don't think that's serious at, at the moment, at least. Um, so I just think we've got enough potential here, and they could potentially get a, a scrap heap type guy that that might work out. Um, and then, I mean, what's going to happen with guys like Mesa? You know, maybe, you know, maybe he he's the long relief guy next year. And as much as I'm uncomfortable with it, I mean, Brazier's pitching okay. So, um, hmm. so yeah, I just, I think there's, there's plenty of, of guys that can step in instead of, uh, paying Barnes $5 million next year. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I kinda, he was at the end of, uh, where I was getting done with the dishonorable mentions. So, um, so what about this catcher, uh, Andrew, uh, Davey Grulion? I, I'm probably botching that name, so give him a couple more starts and I'll probably have it. But, but you guys were pretty, you know, excited that, you know, he was with the team and getting a start today. So 
what do you think you know Sox fans can expect he's a, him? he's a lottery ticket he's one of those guys that you know they don't usually come available um there was really no re- there was no reason other than roster crunch for philly to release him and just as of i think it was last year he was their number 12 prospect so he's not chopped liver um pretty good hitting catcher he's got a solid arm i think it was rated six, uh, 65 so uh if it if it happens to work out this is a great pickup by bloom zero risk uh this is one of those things that we never saw Dombrowski do. He, these guys never hopped on the team. So I'm excited. Let him get some run. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't believe it when this guy just dropped into the Red Sox laps. I mean, uh, he's he's been, a like you said, a top 15 prospect with the Phillies before. Um, and last year in their AAA system hit, you know, 283, hit 21 bombs. So he's got a bat. Um I don't know why. Now, the the part that concerns me is why did Philly give up on him? You know, like, why are they willing to let him go so easily? Because they're probably going to lose Real Muto in the offseason. So, yeah. So, like, I don't know why they would give up on a 24-year-old catcher who looked like he was ready and waiting to take over once Real Muto went. Um, So that concerns me a little bit. But we've seen teams do this. We've seen teams just give up on guys and and be wrong about it. You know, I I always go back to the Orioles who gave up on Eduardo Rodriguez for Andrew Miller. And, you know, it's it's come back to bite them big time. So, yeah, you know what? Give him some run. Let him let him get some playing time. And if he proves that he can swing the bat and that he can call a good game behind the plate, there you go. You've got a 24 year old catcher who's ready to take over. And it makes it a lot easier to deal Vasquez in the offseason because I hate to break it to you, Red Sox fans, but he's going to be dealt. I mean, he's his value's too high. You know, this is a team that needs to rebuild. So Vasquez is the perfect piece to move. We talked about it last time. We were all shocked that he didn't move this trade deadline. So if this, you know, if Davey Gruyon can hit and he's, you know, he's turns out to be a viable catcher, then. That's great. I mean, that's a big steal. Well, you guys got me pretty excited then. And, I mean, I'm borderline shocked that Vasquez didn't get traded. I'll be extremely shocked if it doesn't happen this winter, you know, because his value, like we've been saying, will, will never be higher. And it's just an easy opportunity for them to shed more payroll you know, as they work towards the, the bigger picture. And, I mean, that's encouraging. 21 bombs, you know, in AAA. I mean, we're, you know, I've been kind of curious about Connor Wong, and he hit 28 in A. So just think of the potential this tandem could bring. <laughs> you know, if yeah, it, absolutely. If you know, it, and if, you know, the, the biggest question is going to be, how does he do calling a game behind the plate? Which we won't know until he gets more action back there. And obviously, it's going to be tough with this pitching staff because you've got so many moving pieces. You've got guys that are going to be coming back from injury and stuff like that. But if he calls a good game and he continues to swing the bat, that's great. Game call. So is... here, here we go. Vasquez, you're the DH. Plowecki and... Uh... Really on, you guys are uh, full time now. Sorry, JD, you're gonna take a backseat here. 
I think we just <laughs> solved all of our issues from earlier. JD's going to be the backup DH. Um, yeah, G- game calling, though, for me is the big one. Just after seeing the difference between Leon and, and Vasquez, I mean, I put a premium on that. And, you know, Leon was painful at the plate, you know, sometimes didn't even hit 200. But um, but I, I think with, you know, another catcher, we could we could get someone who hits at least like an average MLB catcher, which is probably about 230, 240. It's not a, a position where you typically find a lot of offense uh out of but um but yeah so we'll see uh, hopefully he gets more reps i don't know uh Plowecki took a, a fastball off the hand so um as far as i know there's been no status updates with him but if he were to miss the remainder of the season or a couple of weeks i hope they do give uh Gruy on some some reps you know behind the uh behind the plate so uh, Yankees about as bad as the Red Sox in, in the last 20 games. There's only two teams worse than the Yankees in MLB. And that's the Texas Rangers and the Arizona Diamondbacks. 27 other teams are better than the Yankees in the last 20 games. That's unbelievable. Uh, and I mean, tonight's sort of, is a perfect example of what's going on with that team. Like they had one of their worst pitchers pitch his best game of the season. I mean, Jay Happ went six innings, struck out 10 guys, only gave up two runs and they still lost because they couldn't score on the combination of Tyon Walker and this Shun Yamaguchi. That offense has dried up. I mean, there's just, you know, and I know that they're missing a lot of guys, but like DJ LeMahieu is the only guy that's hitting. Even Luke Voigt has come back down to earth. And, you know, Clint Frazier has, has cooled off a little bit. So they're just getting no offense. And, you know, Boone said yesterday that, like, Stanton is still far, a long ways away. Um, I don't know how close Judge is to returning, but, you know, with him he could come back and then sneeze, and then 30 seconds later he's on he's on the injured list again. So, yeah, I you know, Yankee fans, I hate to say I told you so, but... I did tell you so. Your team is in trouble. Your offense is bone dry, and your pitching is is just not good enough. And even when it is good enough, you don't give them the run support. So they're in trouble because Toronto looks like they're really going for it. And I don't know. I, if I'm a Yankee fan, if you're not panicked by now, I don't know what's wrong with you. You're just delusional. Yeah, just like everyone expected them to be battling the Orioles in the uh, in the polls there, only a half game ahead of them. Their offense is anemic. Their pitching sucks. It, it's awesome. I literally was spending more time watching that game, flipping on uh, MLB at bat app earlier, because I was like, you know what? I actually have a little more interest in this than the Red Sox one. So it's great to watch. And what, Cashman had to go give a uh, pep talk today? Yeah. When does that happen? The GM doesn't go down to a pep talk. That's not a thing. Saying we believe in you, we sign you for a reason. It's like, all right, buddy. 
<laughs> Let's calm down here with the dramatic. Worry about the game at hand and the upcoming battle because I think they have the Orioles after they have uh, Toronto. So if the Orioles go in and handle their business, what what's going to happen in New York? Whose head's going to roll first? Well, that's just it. I mean, I heard, I think I was listening to MLB Network earlier, and how do you feel if you're Aaron Boone and and your GM's coming down to give a speech? Like, hmm. you know, he must feel at least a little bit marginalized that his GM's kind of stepping on his toes and and this is the last year of Boone's contract if they do not pick up oh, the option. Gone. Gone. Hmm. There's no he, way he's yeah. exposed. The fans hate him. Like, if you look at, like, any uh, Yankee Twitter, people are pissed at him. It's like, dude, you left him in too long. You did this again, that again, this again. No one's happy with him. Clearly his players aren't, I, you know. <laughs> I I don't see a way he's back next year if they a don't make the playoffs or b get balancing that whatever three game setup they're doing. Yeah, he's he's an easy scapegoat. Um, I mean, he was trending on Twitter last night. His name was trending on Twitter because the Yankee fans were complaining about him so much. Um, and there was maybe like a small segment that was defending him and say, no, it's not his fault. It's the player's fault. It's Cashman's fault. But the, the vast majority, like 85% was just Yankee fans going, this guy's gone, fire him, bring in someone new. It's unbelievable to me that you Yankee fans can still be so blind to the fact that Brian Cashman is doing a horrible job with your team. I don't know what it takes for you guys to see this. I get it. He brought in DJ LeMayhew, who's, hitting like crazy by the way don't get used to him because he's probably gone soon um yep yep See ya. he's gonna get paid so bye-bye um the luke voigt trade great luke voigt has been a pretty good serviceable player right he's coming back down to earth a little bit but he's pretty good other than that what did cashman do for your team you guys were world series favorites and he sat on his hands at the deadline and it's just like it's unbelievable to me that Yankee fans still don't see that this guy just he's not getting it done. And I, I think Andrew's right. Aaron Boone's going to be the scapegoat. He's he's going to get axed or, you know, and it's going to be the kind of thing where they won't fire him. It's going to be like, oh, no, we, they mutually parted ways or Aaron Boone is to stepping TV. down. <laughs> yeah, it's he's going to go back to TV. He's going to do what Girardi did, actually going to take a year or, year or two away from coaching, go back to TV, get a nice cushy job there, and then he'll he'll be back managing again. It's just and Cashman's going to keep his job because in New York that guy just he can do no wrong. He's like the Bill Belichick of New York. Just no matter how many bad roster moves he makes, they will never get rid of him. It's unbelievable. And you, you know where a lot of pressure to replace Boone's going to come from is when jobs open up this winter. Or I don't even know what seasons give me when this season ends, but and Phil Nevin's name gets thrown into the ring, and the Yankee fans have a hard on for him, and they're not going to want to lose him. They're going to be like, no, why? Why not just make him our manager? And then that's that's what's going to be. That's going to be the dialogue right there. Well, here's a nightmare scenario. What if they go after Cora? 
You know what? I hope they do. Because to watch them eat their goddamn words would be amazing. He's a cheater. He cheated. You know what? Actually, we, we, we reviewed the situation as fans. Um, what he did was not that bad. No, they're going to have to play mental gymnastics to justify that hiring. And it would be hilarious to watch. Yeah. I, I can't. I mean, I hope that does happen because you're right. Like the contortionism it will take. Yankee fans to twist themselves into pretzels going, oh no, I, I we weren't saying that Cora was the problem. It's the Red Sox that were it's cheating. Culture. We, we've always loved Cora, yeah. And by the way, I'm not sure that's a good fit because the the players on the Yankees are kind of prima donnas, and I don't think they'll respond to Cora's coaching style. Cora's a hard ass. Oh, let like, Cora coach Sanchez. Oh, God, please. Yeah, Gary <laughs> Sanchez would hate him. And so would Stanton. Like, it's, yeah, they, they they don't, they would not respond well to a guy like Cora because he gets on guys and, you know, and when they respond correctly, they play really well. That's what happened with this team. The Yankees would not respond well. They just wouldn't. Well, the reason I mention it, though, is because they hung on to Joe Girardi until either the day Cora was hired by the Red Sox or the day after. But they they waited for the Red Sox to hire somebody so that they couldn't hire Girardi and, you know, have all that intel and whatnot. So that that's kind of why it came to mind. But um, getting back to, you know, Boone and, and Cashman, I definitely put it more on Cashman than anything. I don't know what kind of a manager Boone is yet because he has had a lot of talent. Last year was like the miracle year where there were so many injuries, but they had that next man up mantra and, you know, everybody everybody kind of rose to the occasion and, you know, they had a decent year. He had enough talent to to get into the playoffs and in 2018 as well. So, I mean, I I don't know if he's a good manager or a bad manager, really. Um, But Cashman, I mean, literally, literally, he's the fifth best GM in this division. Not just the league, this division. I mean, you can't can't say he's ever going to outsmart the Rays by any chance. I think I'm, you know, because Bloom comes from the Rays, I'm going to just assume that the Red Sox are going to be a juggernaut here in two to three years tops. And then you got Baltimore, who's got executives from Houston that helped build that team, you know, which up until really this year has been, you know, one of, you know, one of the best well-balanced teams in MLB well maybe except for the bullpen but be that as it may they've had a good farm they've developed their talent very well they made yeah. extremely they've also the most assets to use on that farm they blew past all the thresholds for the international signing in the last year that they allowed teams to do that that let them build up everything they had the Chapman trade got them their best uh infielder which anyone could have done it didn't take a genius to make these moves you talking about the astros still no no i'm talking about uh cashman oh i was talking about i was talking about the astros that whole time oh sorry i thought you were still talking about cashman yeah no i I was just pointing out that 
you know, you know, Baltimore has some executives that help build a, a pretty brilliant, you know, Houston team. Um, and then Toronto, I mean, this is Ben Sherrington's farm system that we're seeing get called up. He worked there for a few years, but, um, but I don't even know that sharing, uh, that, excuse me, um, that, uh, Cashman is even smarter than the Toronto guys. I mean, he's getting beat to the punch. All these teams are building their organizations the right way. What's Cashman going to do? He's going to try to he's going to try to spend his way out of all of his problems and I don't think he can even do that at this point. He's going to have to try to do it next year too. I mean, you lose Paxton, um God knows if they're going to want Tanaka back. Are they going to go blow blow their load on uh Trevor Bauer? or someone like that. I mean, the options aren't there. He's going to have to go find someone. He's going to have to get creative. Uh, and I, I hope he does. I, you know what? I'd love to see Cashman have to work on a budget for once. He just doesn't yeah. have the balls to part ways with certain guys. I mean, if he was smart, he might've got rid of Sanchez after 2018 and people get so mesmerized in New York about his, potential offensively to be a you know a 40 120 guy but he's so bad defensively it just it made perfect sense to try to move on and get a haul and and had they got a decent haul for him maybe maybe they're looking a lot better for 2021 had they done that and he doesn't have the balls to trade Aaron Judge he's 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 going to be forced to give him a stupid contract and it's going to happen. And you know, this, you got the Stanton deal. The Cole deal is probably going to hurt because it's just, it's a lot of money, you know, and they weren't in position to make it, you know, even if he is a stud, uh, you know, in the coming years, but he's just a terrible GM. And the, the only real good trade he made was the, the Torres trade from, the Chapman deal, which was by and accident. He wanted that down. What's that? And who would turn that down? It's, it's not like he was like, you know what? Making a hard decision here. No, they sucked. They absolutely sucked that year. And you're getting a top five prospect, universally renowned top five prospect. Wasn't exactly a hard decision to make. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and by the way, like, let's not pencil in, uh, Glaber Torres for the Hall of Fame just yet because he can't stay on the field either. And yeah, it's been a bad year. He's he's younger than Judge and Stanton, and he's been on the injured list just as much. Like, and he had like, didn't he have like a core injury last year or something like that? He's had like core body injuries, shoulder injuries. I think this, you know, this latest IL stunt is because he pulled up with a hammy, you know, running down to first base, like. For a guy his age, he gets hurt a lot. And it's just, to me, that's not a good sign. And it's like, that's going to start to, you know, that's going to cause him to regress all around. So yeah, I'm those not. Soft tissue ones are, those are the ones that really worry you, not the free yeah. cast ones. It's the judge ones. Yeah. And so that's why, like, I'm not ready to say that Torres trade was necessarily a full home run just yet. I mean, granted, like, you know, they got Chapman back, so ultimately they got the asset they traded back, so I guess you can't really criticize that, but 
you know, if Torres can't stay on the field either, then it's like, what do you got? You got just mm-hmm. a bunch of guys who are getting older and older, getting more expensive, who aren't healthy. That's that's not a good way to build your roster. This team could potentially be very old, you know, in two or three years because I don't see I don't see Stanton magically getting healthier in his thirties. Judge will be in his early thirties, probably on the DL pretty often, and and who knows with Torres and he's not even going to be old, but like you said, a lot of soft tissue injuries. If they do find a way to keep LeMahieu on the team, I don't think he's going to be a guy that does age well. I, I don't think he's going to be. He's 32, right? Something like that. Yeah. Yes. And, and he, he has had, you know, a bit of an injury history with Colorado. Um, mm-hmm. So I just, I don't know if he's going to be raking at 35, 36 years old because I mean I think I think he's gonna get a five or six year deal from someone I was gonna say that's a that's a deal that you let another GM make the mistake of doing you have to say you know what DJ you were great these last couple years and you know we didn't even expect this but thank you and uh good luck (laughs) yeah really Yeah, and Yankee fans aren't smart enough to know that that's what should happen but but I just can't say enough. I, I think that every front office in the AL East is smarter than the Yankees. They're gonna get they're gonna get the best value out of what they have. They're gonna make smart decisions. This is gonna be a very tough division throughout this decade. It's gonna be a tough decade to to play in this division. And Chapman, a uh, Chapman, Cashman. I just I don't know. I just don't see how Hal Steinbrenner can sit there and be like, yeah, my guy is just as smart as the, all the rest of them. It's just, it could be a long time before the Yankees get number 28. Because this year, this is like 2013 for them. And they're going to go through that same vicious cycle that began for them in 2013. So, yeah. And, I mean, I, I can't wait for the day that they extend Judge when they really shouldn't. I mean, they, they should absolutely trade Aaron Judge and just try and get a really good package back for him, and they're not going to do it. He they're going to give him a stupid, stupid contract, just like the Stanton deal, just like the Cole deal, and they're going to be stuck with just a handful of albatross contracts, and it's going to amount to nothing. It's it's I can't wait I can't wait for that day. Could you imagine if Bloom got hired to just this past off season to to you know be the GM for them and, and the moves he would have made? <laughs> <laughs> but Yan- Yankees fans' heads would explode though. Is the point I was getting to? What what you you're trading Judge? You know and and Lemayhew probably even for that matter. Um, oh yeah. You and know, God forbid if you trade Gary Sanchez, you know, the next uh, Johnny Bench over there, according to Yankee fans. We're gonna, they're still going to be talking about when he's 33. This is the year. This is the year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just you wait. He's going to hit 45 bombs this year, and, you know, he's going to lead us to the World Series. Okay. Yeah. Call me back when he's back hitting 165 in August. He's a 30-30 guy, but the other 30 are pass balls, unfortunately. <laughs> Let me ask you guys this. 
Do you think the Yankees possibly could have beaten us in 2018 in the ALDS if Girardi was the manager? Oof. Uh, potentially, yeah. Potentially just because I think Girardi is such a better manager than Boone. And I agree with you mostly about Boone. I think, like, the, you know... Jury's mostly out on him, um, or it's still out. Like we don't really know how good of a manager Boone is because it's he's still pretty new there. And um, but yeah, I I would maybe give them a slight edge if it had been Girardi, just because I do think he's a very good manager. No, I'm I'm still going. No, that team was a wagon. I don't think there was any stopping him. Well, we had a huge advantage with Cora in game three, I think it was, with Severino pitching because Cora is really good at, at pitch tipping and, and figuring that out. Um, but the thing I get hung up on is game four, the bases were loaded. Kimbrell didn't have it but got out of it because Sanchez with two outs had a fly ball out to left field and the series ended. But if that's a liner up the gap, we're going to game five, you know? So I just don't know if the team would have performed better with Girardi, you know, with, you know, with his more stricter leadership and, I don't know if we win game five. I think Sale has to pitch that game, doesn't he? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You would like to think in a deciding game like that. Yeah. Yeah. But he was, you know, his fastball wasn't there. And, you know, his slider was the, the dominant weapon. So I, it's just, it just would have been interesting, you know, if, if Girardi was the other guy. And, you know, we don't really get to see those chess matches anymore between great managers because of the stupid rules, you know, the three batter minimum and um, all that. But but it just I don't know. It's just an interesting question. I'm glad it obviously worked out the way that it did. But hard to believe that, you know, Cora's already gone. You know, Girardi's gone. Yeah, Cora's I, just taking a break. Yeah, I know. He's <laughs> resting up. You're you're the captain of that wagon, my friend. <laughs> and, I don't think it's hopeful, but I I, I don't think it's likely. Likely, but I'm I'm remaining hopeful. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't know how I feel about it. I just I just there's baggage, and I, I just I'm afraid of future investigations. I don't even care. I don't even think anyone's going to remember like last year after all the crap that's gone on in the world this year. So I, I think it's a clean slate for everyone involved. Yeah, we'll I think I, I mostly don't want him to come back just because I'm, I'm sick of Bobo Red Sox fans acting like once Cora comes back, we're going right back to the World Series as <laughs> if there's no other problems on this team oh, whatsoever. Yeah, there's plenty of problems, but yeah. like, like, I remember, can we stop? Um, I think it was earlier or late last week um uh, remy was remy and eck were talking about how devers wouldn't be doing any of the stuff that he's doing um in terms of like pouting after he pops one up and not running it out uh, he, they were like yeah cora would have ended this so i do think there's a level of respect 
that is there and that would come back. Uh, but that's the only thing. Yeah, it's not like, oh, my God, he's back. We're, we're going to win 118 games, anything like that. I mean, you got to fix a lot of other issues before you can even talk about going back to the playoffs. Right. I think Matt Quattrero, the the Rays bench coach, is going to be the guy. But, you know, I, I could be wrong, but we'll see. Uh, just briefly, uh, we do have a four-game set against the Rays, so four free wins for them. Um, we only have two pitchers named for this series. One, uh, the legendary <laughs> Zach Godley. <laughs> Uh, that's tomorrow. Uh, no, well, actually, tomorrow's an off day, so that'll be Thursday. Uh, that Godley pitches uh, against the Rays, so maybe we'll get to see another hissy fit when when Renicky pulls the plug on him. I don't know if you guys caught that, but he had another that one. That did, yeah, yeah, for a little Wade Miley bitch fit. Yeah, just stormed into the clubhouse. Uh, that's per- that's where you need to you need to dig out that old Eckersley clip from when Wade Miley did it. And he lost his mind on Nesson after the game. Yeah. If, if Godley does that again, I'm tweeting that clip because, good Lord. Yeah. Um, Perez will pitch the final game of the series. So I guess there's going to be Noah Voldy in here. I think we would know that by now. Um, so not sure we're going to have openers in the middle games, you know, whether that's Colton Brewer. Ryan Weber actually looked good in his last start. Maybe he gets slotted in there. Um, Meza, I guess, well, he pitched five innings, so I don't know. Because um, that would line him up more for Sunday. Or actually, no, that could line him up for Saturday. So just kind of a hodgepodge of Red Sox possibilities. We do have the uh, Rays rotation set. Uh, Fleming goes on Thursday, Snell on Friday. Glass now, who might be the Cy Young by the sounds of it, uh, if they if they, you know, fall through with that stuff this year, he goes on Saturday, and then Charlie Morton will pitch the uh, finale on Sunday. So every single one of those guys might have double digit strikeouts. <laughs> I would have, I would actually be willing to put money on that. Even Fleming, uh, for some reason, I'm not too familiar with him. I mean, if JD's in there, there's three. <laughs> oh, <true. laughs> there's another two. So he's already halfway with only facing two guys. Yeah. He looks like he might. Yeah, he's listed as a relief pitcher, so he's probably just going to be an opener. Um, well, it'll be amazing to watch him yeah. strike out at 10 through 3. <laughs> he's got yeah, 11, 11 strikeouts <laughs> on the season, so maybe he can double it um, before he comes out. But. Yeah, Josh Fleming. Every time I, you know, the Rays put in a guy I've never heard of, you know, I used to think, oh, we're gonna we're gonna knock him around, but you know, we always get shut down uh, when it's someone new. They'll call up a single A pitcher, and you know, we get lit up. But oh well, they'll uh, that this will be the series that puts the Yankees and Blue Jays probably officially out of reach uh, for them. Final thoughts. My final thought, and I'll leave you with this. If you guys aren't watching uh, Paw Sox Sim City, you absolutely should. Um, you're getting to see about four Tristan Cassius at bats every game. Uh, Jeter Downs is hitting every game. 
the new guys, Rosario and Potts, have both gone deep. It's really great. They call the games like it's an actual game. They have guys up in the booth. No commercials. Uh, everything's awesome. And Cassius has been hitting the absolute crap out of the ball. The other day off Hauke, he hit a 436-foot bomb. So definitely check that out. They stream them on Twitter. They're only, you know, hour and a half max. So it's really good five innings of ball. Uh, well worth your time if you can just toss it on your phone. So is the Twitter account Pawtucket SimCity? Yeah, just the Paw Sox. Yep. Oh, and, uh, just their own Twitter account. Okay. Yeah, just the Paw Sox. And, uh, yeah, it, it's great. Um, they alert you when they go live, and it's it's awesome to watch. A lot of propaganda to call up Casas uh, next year. So sounds like it Maybe spring training. Maybe if you – that, that it would be uh, good to see. You'd have to have a really good camp uh, in order to get that invite. Yeah, and actually they'll probably – you know, because of the service time holding. Oh back. yeah, he'll be. He won't see Boston, but he might see uh, spring training. Um, so yeah, like so that'd be good. All right. Anything, uh, Jason? No, I'm just. Uh, I'm you know I'm excited to see how many more games the Yankees can lose and and just how much further they can slip out of this. I'll be checking on twitter every night to see who they're yelling at tonight um it's it's fun i want i love watching this fan base meltdown because just the the level of irrationality and anger that comes out of them it just it gives me life and you know obviously this season there's been it's been tough here in boston but oh man it's it's just amusing watching them just lose their minds yeah, sub 500 if they lose tomorrow. I don't know what the pitching matchups are, but uh love to see it. That that that'll yep. be I'm going to have a field day if they if they have a losing record tomorrow. I am going to get blocked by so many Yankees fans. It's uh <laughs> it's unreal. All right, well, and yeah, by by all means, Yankee fans continue to tweet at me that you're not worried. Please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they've all cried themselves to sleep by now. So <laughs> after midnight but all right guys good show and uh we'll be back the series after this one sounds good all right talk to you soon episode 216 in the books red sox split potential ugly series this weekend against the rays but if you're a playoff nerd like i am you might be we might be seeing the American League World Series front runners, so that's cool. I guess I, I got no ill will really now that Madden's not with uh, Tampa, and you know we've got nothing at stake. So if they do go that deep, more power to them. And uh, we'll be back with you uh, for a Sunday night show for your Monday morning commute. Take care.